Chapter Three of The Curious Quest by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Adrian Pretzelis. Chapter Three. So you're after the job, eh? Mr. Masters asked, tilting his office chair back to a dangerous angle and eyeing his visitor keenly. Dash my buttons! I thought you were a customer when you came in. Mr. Ernest Bliss also leaned back in his chair, which, by the by, he had taken uninvited. He was still wearing the exceedingly well-cut blue serge suit in which he had started out upon his pilgrimage. The trousers were, however, mud-splashed, and his boots already showed signs of wear. His expensive malacca cane reposed across his knees. He was slowly withdrawing his reindeer gloves from his fingers. "'Sorry if I disappointed you,' he observed. "'I have called in answer to your advertisement. "'I wish to sell uh, the uh, Alpha cooking stoves, I believe you call them.' Mr. Masters looked his visitor up and down, and failed to recognize the type. "'Want to sell our stoves?' he murmured dubiously. "'I read your advertisement in the Daily Telegraph in the public library this morning,' Bliss continued. "'You say you want a man young, able, and pushing. I possess all three of these qualities.' "'Ever been on the road?' Mr. Masters inquired. The young man hesitated. The technicality of the question for a moment defeated him. He temporized. "'What I may lack in experience,' he ventured, "'I certainly make up in the quality you call push, and in sheer undoubted ability.' The young lady who was typing in a corner of the room looked up at these words and surveyed him curiously. A broad grin spread itself over the round, good-natured features of the stove manufacturer. "'A trifle modest, eh?' he remarked. "'Not now,' Bliss replied. "'I started that way when I began to look for a job a fortnight ago. At present I am trying to realise my own worth. It seems to be the only way to impress it upon other people.' Mr. Master's expression changed. A prodigious frown spread over his features. This time not the flicker of a smile escaped him. He was a very formidable person indeed. "'Don't believe you ever sold a soap-dish in your life,' he growled. "'Who has?' his visitor asked blandly. "'What have soap-dishes to do with the subject of our conversation? You, I take it, are the manufacturer of the Alpha cooking stove. I am the man whom Providence has selected for you to sell that particular article. At, I think you said, two pounds a week salary, all out-of-pocket expenses, and five per cent commission on sales. Mr. Masters brought his chair forward with a bang. Steady, young fellow, I haven't engaged you yet, he interrupted. "'But you will,' Bliss declared confidently. "'I'm sure you will, and I should be awfully obliged if you would hurry up and settle it. I want to begin work.' 
Mr. Masters stared at this somewhat unusual applicant. He was a large man, with broad features and a ruddy complexion. He had the anxious look and the wandering eyes of an inventor. It seemed to be his continual aim in life to be regarded as a man of forbidding appearance, an aspiration with which his own kind heart was continually contending. "'Well, I'm blowed!' he exclaimed vigorously. "'Here, Miss Clayton!' The young lady, a plainly-dressed, brown-haired girl of quiet but attractive appearance, ceased her performance upon a typewriter and turned round. "'Yes, Mr. Masters?' "'Just bring me the applications for the job, will you?' he ordered. "'You'll find them all on top of the safe.' The young lady promptly disappeared. Bliss pulled up his trousers a little higher, displaying an alluring vision of Bond Street socks. "'Waste of time going through those, rather, isn't it?' he suggested pleasantly. "'There are always crowds of people out of a job who answer any advertisement. Now I—' he added, slowly and emphatically, have never before been out of a job in my life. Mr. Masters, although he made an effort to conceal the fact, was visibly impressed. "'You've been jolly lucky, then,' he declared. "'Jolly lucky, young man. I couldn't have said the same at your age. Never out of a job, eh?' "'Not once.' Bliss assured him. The young lady, who had just returned with a pile of letters in her hand, looked him up and down. There was vague disfavour in her eyes. "'Have you ever had one?' she asked sarcastically. Bliss was speechless. The suddenness of the attack had unnerved him. Mr. Masters, however, saved the situation. "'What do you think of that, my young sir?' he exclaimed triumphantly, as he pointed to the stack of letters. "'One hundred and twenty applications from commercial travellers of experience. Men who know their job, and simply want the privilege of selling the Alpha cooking stove. Will you tell me exactly why you expect I'm going to chuck all these in your favour, eh?' Bliss looked at his questioner steadfastly. Mr. Master's bushy eyebrows were drawn together in what was meant to be a terrifying frown, but underneath his blue eyes were shining with furtive kindliness. "'Because this is my thirteenth application for a job, Mr. Masters, and thirteen is my lucky number. If you want another reason, uh, here it is. I'm done to the world, and if I don't get it, I shall either have to starve or go back to uh, what I was doing before." "'And what might that be?' Mr. Masters demanded suspiciously. "'Nothing dishonest,' Bliss declared, but nothing very reputable. I want to raise myself, not sink back. You're a good-natured fellow, Mr. Masters. You don't want to see a man the stove manufacturer struck the desk with his fist. Stop! he thundered. Bliss obeyed promptly. 
Mr. Masters was frowning more ponderously than ever. The brown-haired typist, too, had ceased rattling the keys of her machine, and was looking up. "'Don't get giving yourself away, young man,' Mr. Masters expostulated. "'There are some things it's better to keep to yourself. Now, answer me one question. Is this reference of yours from these lawyer chaps bona fide?' "'Or isn't it?' "'It's absolutely bona fide,' Bliss declared fervently. Mr. Masters moved towards the door. "'We'll go and have a look at the stove, anyway,' he said. "'A child could sell it, but you may as well look it over. Wait here one moment.' He passed hastily out into the warehouse to interview a loiterer who was gazing at the model of the stove. Bliss was left alone with the brown-haired typist. "'Do you think I'm going to get this job?' he asked her. She raised her head for a moment and looked at him. He perceived then that he had underrated her attractions. She was tall and a little thin, her eyes were large and soft, her complexion clear, and her mouth showed character. Bliss recognized in her from that first moment some quality which placed her in another world from all the women with whom he had used to associate. "'I'm afraid you are,' she replied. "'Afraid?' he repeated, a little staggered. She nodded. "'Afraid is the word I used. Mr. Masters is far too kind-hearted. He can't say no to anyone.' That is why I added to the advertisement that all applications must be made in writing. You are the first one who has disregarded it. But tell me why you don't want me to have the job, he begged. I don't see why I shouldn't be able to sell stoves as well as anybody else. She looked him over critically. There was the suspicion of a smile upon her lips, which vaguely irritated him. Her eyes rested for a moment on his cane. "'Are you going to take that about with you?' she asked. He coloured a little. Uh, "'Of course not,' he answered. "'The fact is, I brought it out with me to take to the pawn-shop, but when I started walking I got so frightfully keen on coming here that I couldn't spare the time.' She turned back to her work. "'Well, it isn't my business,' she sighed. Sometimes I almost wish it were. Mr. Masters is a clever inventor, but he hasn't the least idea how to make money or organize things. If he had happened to hit upon a really first-class traveller who took an interest in the stove and knew how to place it on the market, it might have been our salvation, that's all. Bliss rose slowly to his feet. He was conscious of a feeling of almost absurd disappointment. The memory of the past fortnight rose up like a nightmare before him. "'Very well, then,' he decided, a little doggedly. "'I'll go.' He moved toward the door. She stopped him. "'Come back,' she ordered. "'That's very nice of you if you mean it. But it's too late. Mr. Masters is one of the most obstinate men in the world.' That is why I said nothing. Now that he has made up his mind to engage you, you must be engaged. I'll go away if you say so, 
he persisted. No use. He would never rest until he'd found you again. You wish me luck, anyhow, he begged. Her lips relaxed a little. I wish you luck with your sails, she said. We need orders badly. You shall have them, he promised. What's that? What's that? Mr. Masters demanded, as he pushed his noisy way through the door. I've just been assuring this young lady, Bliss explained, that if I get the job, I'm going to bring you plenty of orders. Mr. Masters patted him on the shoulder. Then get to work, young man, he said. The job is yours. End of chapter 3 Chapter 4 Bliss, in his first unsuccessful efforts to sell the Alpha cooking stove, wore out a pair of shoes, and spent twenty-six of the most miserable days of his life. He, who had been the spoiled darling of servile commissionaires, of theatrical doorkeepers, restaurant pages, and obsequious maître d'hôtel, was snubbed vigorously by small boys who looked at him through half-opened wicket-holes, and kept waiting for hours in draughty passages by inattentive clerks, only to have his card brought back from the buyer of some furnishing department with a message more or less covertly insolent. He was at diverse times informed, when he got a hearing at all, that his particular stove was the worst, the dearest, and the most out-of-date of all stoves that ever cumbered the ground. His face grew a little harder day by day. Distaste of this new career, upon which he had entered, half in a spirit of bravado, and half with a real, thorough, fleeting enthusiasm, deepened with his lack of success. His knees began to tremble no longer from nervousness, but from actual weakness. He slept in a cheap lodging on the topmost floor of a house in a dingy neighbourhood, and ate cheap food. He lived on his weekly two pounds, which he accepted after his fruitless labours with a groan, and each evening when he returned to the little warehouse in Four Street to make his report, he went through a sort of purgatory. The moment his foot crossed the threshold, it began. The warehouseman, who was generally engaged in polishing the model stove, stopped his work and looked at him expectantly. Mr. Masters always met him at the office door. His stereotyped question was delivered with an eagerness which it had become daily more hard to conceal. Any look today, Bliss? The brown-haired girl, too, ceased her work and looked at him. Each time he had to make the same answer. It was becoming unbearable. On the twenty-sixth day he limped painfully in to face his ordeal. He had walked from Islington and was giddy. He spoke even before he could open the door, spoke with half-closed eyes. He felt that today he was bringing with him the culminating disappointment. He had been to an appointment upon which Mr. Masters had placed great hopes. No luck, 
he announced. Not the ghost of an order. Members wouldn't even see me. Their clerk told me they had placed a large contract for an American stove, five per cent cheaper than ours. The girl's face was suddenly averted. Mr. Masters, with a muttered word, rose and went out into the warehouse. Bliss sank into his vacant chair and covered his face with his hands. The girl looked across the room at him and sighed. "'You seem tired,' she said. "'Shall I make some tea?' The note of compassion in her voice was the most pleasant thing he had heard that day. He looked up at her gratefully. "'If you would,' he replied, "'I do feel pretty well done. I suppose I'm a mug,' he went on bitterly, "'but I don't believe the Archangel Gabriel could sell those stoves.' "'I'm afraid,' she sighed as she crossed the floor with a cup of tea in her hand, that the broker's man will have to. He looked up at her quickly. "'What do you mean?' he asked. "'I thought that we could not get them fast enough, that they were all being shipped for export.' "'Bluff,' she assured him. "'All bluff. I don't suppose there's any harm in telling you now. Mr. Masters brought the whole bankrupt stock of an iron founder in Sheffield.' It was a great speculation for him, but you know how sanguine he is. He has nearly five hundred stoves made, and not twenty sold. The first bill for the material was paid last week, and the next is due on Tuesday. We cannot meet it. We can only pay the wages on Saturday. By next Tuesday we shall have five hundred stoves in stock, and not a penny in the bank. Bliss could say nothing. He only sat and stared. "'I feel so sorry for Mr. Masters,' she went on softly. "'He was only a working man, and he saved the few hundred pounds he started with week by week. He is so proud of his name and character. I think it will break his heart if he has to fail. And there is no help for it that I can see.' Five hundred stoves in stock,' Bliss murmured, "'at fourteen guineas. Why doesn't he sell some at a little less, just enough to pay this bill?' She nodded. "'He's tried to do that, although he hated it, because he did not think it was fair business. He just offered two hundred today at actual cost to a firm just to pay next week's bill. They declined. He's almost desperate about it. "'Great Caesar!' Bliss muttered. "'And I have been kicking myself because I couldn't sell them at fourteen. "'That's a different thing altogether. "'You have been calling mostly upon retail people, "'and fourteen guineas is a very fair price. "'To tell the truth, I'm surprised that you haven't sold any,' "'she added a little unfeelingly. "'You seemed so very confident when you started.' "'He set his teeth.' There was a look in his face which would have astonished Sir James Aldroyd. "'There are two days left,' he reminded her grimly. The door was thrown open, and Mr. Masters bustled in with his accustomed air of exuberant energy. He was humming a tune to himself, but his affected cheerfulness was a little overdone. "'Ah, there you are, Bliss,' 
he exclaimed, "'afraid I must remind you that your time is up on Saturday. A month's trial. That was it, wasn't it?' Bliss rose heavily to his feet. "'Sorry I've been such a failure, sir,' he said slowly. "'I've got two more days, however, and it's occurred to me—well, I've had an idea as I sat here. Perhaps it isn't worth much, but I want to make one more effort tomorrow. Mr. Masters was mildly curious. "'Going to try a new district?' he inquired. "'You've got the whole field to yourself, you know, and the finest stove in the world to sell. It's just a question of getting at the right people.' "'That's exactly what I feel myself, sir,' Bliss assented thoughtfully. Uh, by the by, if I wanted a stove to show a customer, there's one in the packing case outside. Mister Masters interrupted eagerly. Tim hasn't gone yet. You can take it wherever you like. He hasn't had a stroke of work to do all day. Shall I tell him to put it on a truck? Bliss burnt his boats. If you please, he answered valiantly. Mr. Masters hurried out, shouting for the warehouseman. Already his step was more buoyant. The girl looked at Bliss almost reproachfully. "'Do you think it's quite fair to give him false hopes like that?' she demanded. "'There's no false hope about it,' Bliss replied, taking off his hat. "'I'm going to sell that stove and a dozen more like it before this time tomorrow night.' She looked at him searchingly. She was forced to admit that the earnest bliss of today was somehow a very different being from the young man who had sat in that chair a month ago, and in whom, at that time, she had felt no confidence whatever. There was a new ring to his voice. His mouth seemed to have become tenser, and his manner more determined. A little thrill of hope crept into her reply. Oh, if you only can! Her eyes glowed. He was suddenly conscious of the birth of new powers within him. He felt like a Samson. I shall, he asserted. And what then? It was amazing to him that he had not realized her charm before. She flashed a wonderful smile upon him, and sat down before her machine. Well, We'll see. End of chapter 4